Welcome back to the Almost Shameless Podcast. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. Thank you again, as always, for joining me. I am uh, actually coming to you a little post-week rather than pre-week of NFL football this week. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened with the Patriots and the Lions. I also want to talk about the narrative around Lamar Jackson and why we talk about Lamar the way that we do and how we can adjust um, the way that we discuss his situation with the Ravens moving forward. Because I, I noticed something really weird on the broadcast. And I don't know if you guys noticed it, but it was really, it stood out to me a lot. So I want to hit on that. We're going to do a very quick hitting NFL section this week, because I also have Ladarius Brown on um, toward the end of this podcast. The second half of it is going to be Ladarius and I talking about WWE wrapping up and discussing extreme rules and sort of the, the stuff that's, that's coming out of the most recent uh, WWE pay-per-view, including someone who I think is the new face of WWE and has is being likened to John Cena, this generation's John Cena. So it's a really good conversation. Even if you're not a diehard WWE fan, I think that there's segments there that you'd find really fascinating. Um, we talk a little bit about, you know, the development of certain wrestlers in the post Vince McMahon era under Triple H and Steph McMahon's, you know, guidance and, so I think, you know, you guys know who Vince McMahon is, you know, about WWE, you know, about some of these faces, if you're interested at all in sort of keeping up a little bit with what's going on in the sports entertainment world, feel free to tune into that. But uh, let me just at least hit on the Patriots and Lamar Jackson. These are two things that have been on my mind. Obviously, we always talk about the Patriots on this show. So we're going to do it again. Um, 29 to zero shutout by the Patriots against the uh, Detroit Lions, who were averaging a league high 35 points per game heading into this game. Um, they scored those 35 points across four average across four games, including games against the Eagles and the Vikings. So, you know, listen, I always thought that this was going to be a good matchup for the Patriots because the Patriots defense is really underrated. I'm so surprised about the way people have been talking about the defense in general um, in, on a national level because I think that they're being really underappreciated, but I knew this defense was going to step up against the Lions offense. I just didn't know they were going to shut them out. And of course the Patriots offense is very stagnant and very simple, you know, simplified even more than it was before under ba uh, with Bailey Zappi, but, but against a really bad Detroit Lions defense. So this was a good matchup, a good defense for the Patriots, a really struggling offense for the Patriots against you know, a bad defense and a good offense. It was always going to be a good matchup for them. Um, shutouts in the NFL are very rare. I shouldn't have to tell you this. It's incredibly hard to shut out any NFL team on any given Sunday at any point. That's why you don't see a lot of them. And a lot of times you definitely don't see shutouts where one team actually scores a lot of points and the other team is shut out. Like it's, you know, you see a shutout sometimes it's like 10, nothing, or it's like 13, nothing. You rarely see a 29-point win in general any week, let alone 29 to nothing. So let's get it right out of the way. Anyone who wants to write this off as this is just Belichick having Jared Goff's number, whatever else, it's not that simple. This is not the same offense as the Rams offense. This is a totally different situation. Yes, do I think he is good against bad quarterbacks? Yeah, like, I mean, Jared Goff's not a bad quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. He's fine. He gets the job done, right? Clearly melts down a little bit against the stuff that Bill Belichick brings defensively. But 
this is still a totally different team. And he shut him down. And, you know, really it was the way that they did. It was the way that the defensive backs played. Um, obviously Jack Jones is a burgeoning superstar. It was the six fourth down stops. Like they were doing it in insane ways. The defense was scoring Nick Folk on fire as per usual. They finally seemed to figure out um, how to get Bailey Zappi, you know, to get into the end zone. So that was nice. Ramondre Stevenson ste- stepping up huge. He had, I believe, uh, 161 yards rushing to third all time for a single game for any Patriots running back or player. Uh, so that was impressive. We love to see that from Ramondre. He's such a classic Patriots player, you know, so he's winning the hearts of everyone uh, in Patriots nation. And it was a huge performance to see, you know, in a game where they had lost Damian Harris. And so they'd lost that two headed attack. It really came down to Ramondre just pummeling it down their throats. And he did just that. Everybody was doing what they were supposed to do. And that's something that is not been always been the case um, with the Patriots in 2022. We've seen a lot of penalties, dumb mistakes, stagnant offensively. And at least they were getting into field goal range. You know, you've got your third string quarterback playing and I wasn't nearly as nervous as I should have been. And that's in due a large part, of course, to the defense and to Nick Folk always being so reliable. Um, but you look at a team like the Miami Dolphins, who, yes, had some other injuries, but also had to put in their third string quarterback and it did not go as well for them. Granted, the Dolphins actually played better probably than the result would show it. You know, the loss to the Jets is tough. But it still shows it's just not easy to win games with a third string quarterback. And they did it. And they almost beat Aaron Rodgers last week in overtime with Bailey Zappi. So there's some room to be impressed with how things are progressing and the vibe in the locker room after how Bill Belichick was handling the locker room after he was so excited. Obviously, I mean, the fourth down stops had him just through the roof. He could not have been more pleased. And you could really see the camaraderie and the confidence, especially from the defense. And you know, this, I looked this up, you know, I, this is how I learned so much of what I learned is trying to figure out it, you know, where, whether or not what I'm seeing with my eyes is being backed up statistically. And so I was taking a look at defensive DVOA, offensive DVOA, where the Patriots stand, why people are so hesitant to give the Patriots defense their flowers so far for the first five weeks of the season. And If you look at opposing offensive DVOA, the Patriots have faced the highest offensive DVOA of opponents in the league so far. They have had the toughest road in terms of offensive DVOA out of opponents. The game like the Lamar Jackson game, right? They actually played pretty well. We talked about it at the time. The the Patriots defense played well against Lamar Jackson. He's just, he's Lamar Jackson. And the longer he goes, you know, with more injuries and everything else, things are going to be more difficult for him, but they did well. Um, they're entering, the Patriots are now entering the easiest stretch of their season. A couple games against the Jets, who again, should not be taken for granted. Divisional rivals, never take divisional rivals, not seriously, always take them seriously. Um, but, you know, there's the Bears game is in there. There's a Browns game. I, again, the Browns, I think we know what we can expect from them offensively. Nick Chubb is amazing, but we know what Jacoby Brissett is. I do think the Patriots defense is better than um, to allow Jacoby Brissett to beat them. So I think there's some real winnable games over the next six, seven games. And we know how last season went uh, that, you know, they went on the winning streak in the middle of the season. Let's see, 
let's see what, what, what can happen here. They're definitely in do or die mode kind of every week now because the AFC East is very competitive. The Jets aren't letting anything come easy to the Patriots. The Dolphins aren't letting anything come easy to the Patriots. And the Bills are dominant. I mean, just truly dominant. So we'll see what happens. As far as the Lamar Jackson thing is concerned, I've noticed this pattern. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, and I'd be fascinated to hear what you think, um, because, you know, in a lot of ways, I do feel sometimes like I'm talking to myself. I mean, I literally am talking to myself, but even when I'm just thinking in my head, I feel like these narratives aren't being spoken aloud as much as they should be. There was an interesting thing that happened in the ravens Bengals game, and it's very clear that Lamar Jackson is being tasked with the lion's share of producing for the Ravens offense. And he very often does. And that's why the Ravens have gotten away with a lot of what they've gotten away with. Even, even in their losses, they've gotten away with a lot because Lamar Jackson is constituting so much of what the Ravens do successfully. His passing has been great. He's been an excellent passer all season. He's really looked great. He has looked back to MVP form. And yet on the broadcast, as the Ravens were driving to try to win the game. The broadcast was showing two throws that were sort of off target from Lamar earlier in the game and sort of analyzing how those were these major missed opportunities. And I guess questioning whether or not Lamar was going to be able to make the drive to put them into range to win the game. It was, it was really odd. And I'll tell you why it struck me as odd. Any other sort of high-end top tier quarterback in that situation what do we hear every single time on the broadcast two minutes left you got tom brady you're two minutes left you got aaron Rodgers. two minutes left you got patrick mahomes two minutes left you got josh allen and you'll hear from the broadcast all the ways in which these quarterbacks will come and make you pay for leaving too much time for them to win a game and we hear it all the time they, you know, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, all the greats. When you get to that spot, that's where they love to go. And it is, that is, they do it for a reason. It's a cliche for a reason, right? Because you don't want to leave quarterbacks with that level of talent with too much time. And in that moment, the broadcast was instead focusing on Lamar's two actually highly uncharacteristic bad throws earlier in the game. Now, Almost immediately after that, Lamar absolutely sliced and diced the Bengals' defense for a huge first down, huge game. And it felt kind of poetic that they were giving him crap for not being able to make these passes. By the way, take a look at his receiving situation. Just go take a look at it. And you, you tell me if you think that maybe there's some other stuff going on there. But they sort of, they, they criticize this. And then he's like, you know what? And yeah, of course you can't hear them, but I could hear them. And here he is just slicing and dicing through them on the ground with his feet, because that's the kind of player he is figuring out a way to get the job done as always. And I just think it's something worth keeping an eye on why we don't give Lamar Jackson the same credit that we give to these other quarterbacks. Um, this is not a guy who's still earning his stripes. He's a former at league MVP, you know, any other quarterback that wins an MVP that early in their career, they get a lot of benefit of the doubt for a long time. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, we've got guys who haven't won MVPs getting that benefit of the doubt. Josh Allen, 
you know, do I know exactly where the bias is coming from? No. I mean, part of it is that I just don't think that they're understanding entirely the situation that Lamar Jackson is in on that offense because he makes it look so easy. He makes it look so much better than it is that it's hard to realize that most quarterbacks would be struggling so much more with the offense that he has and the issues that he has, the overall injuries that team has suffered. At no point in time should there have been anything else to that conversation when the Ravens got the ball back other than here comes Lamar Jackson with too much time on the clock and the best kicker in the NFL. One of the best kickers of all time. This is Lamar Jackson and Justin Tucker, and you're showing me two of Lamar's shitty throws from earlier in the game. That's the best you can do in this conversation right now. That's the best you can do with a quarterback of that caliber and a kicker of that caliber waiting in the wings. It just was weird, and I don't like it, and I don't think it told the right story and the right narrative. What happened in that game, we saw coming. I know you guys did. I know you did. I certainly did. I mean, shit, they, they had 30 seconds on the clock, and they didn't even try to get in any close for, Je- for Justin Tucker, and he still kicked it statistically right down the middle. So like I said, it's just something that I want to keep an eye on because I do think Lamar Jackson should be in the MVP conversation. And I do think that there are many other quarterbacks who, when they're in that situation and when they're in the MVP conversation and when they are clearly at the top of top echelon of their position, get a lot more benefit of the doubt in that moment. And I think the excitement of that moment, the excitement of what could happen at the end of that game was really diminished by the way the broadcast handled it. Okay, that was a quick NFL wrap-up. Like I said, back half of the episode is this conversation that I had with Ladarius Brown about the WWE wrapping up Extreme Rules. I really hope you guys stick around and enjoy it. All right, I've been promising that I'm going to be hitting on WWE on the Almost Shameless podcast, and it's finally time. We had a pay-per-view come this weekend, Extreme Rules, an actually good Extreme Rules with Extreme things happening for once it was pretty good so i had to bring on my uh resident wwe expert ladarius brown of the sports in the world podcast ladarius thank you for joining me likewise glad to be on here huge fan of the show yes as i am of yours as well it's really nice to have a few of my um wwe friends in the rotation for this stuff because my listenership is mostly i feel like nfl regular sports whatever but I don't know. Even if I'm not into to sports entertainment, wrestling, whatever, it's kind of fun to hear about the drama. Who doesn't know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to live under a rock to not know who some of these people are. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully the crowd is sticking around to hear us out. So extreme rules. There's been a few years where it's been underwhelming and there haven't been a lot of these extreme rules matches in the actual pay-per-view. It's been like, you know, regular matches with maybe one you know, or two, if there's an I quit match or there might be a ladder match or whatever else, but this, they were really committed to the theme this year. And I think to largely good results, I'll start out first with Bianca and Bailey, because Mm -hmm. to me, that match stood out so much for a lot of reasons. Um, Bailey was gone for a really long time and her presence was definitely missed. And in this current you know, status of the women's division where Sasha Banks has been gone. Charlotte Flair has been gone. Becky Lynch is hurt to have one of the four horse women back into the mix is really nice. And to have it be Bailey who we've missed and to have her performing at such a high level as a heel 
is amazing. You know, she's mm-hmm. just like, can do absolutely everything like a pro's pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's proving that even as she's getting back into legitimate wrestling shape, she's still performing at such a high level. And you know, that Bianca Belair is my favorite, you know, I mean, she's my favorite wrestler right now. And she's yeah. definitely my favorite women, woman wrestler. And I think that, you know, I heard, I've been hearing these rumblings and I want to hear your thoughts because I've been mm-hmm. hearing these rumblings about Bianca who did retain the belt in that ladder match, which was great to thunderous applause. I've been hearing, you know, comparisons about Bianca to John Cena and the rock and these superstars that not only become the face of WWE, but who become so popular that they can, and who work so hard and can be booked into any match to like the point where it's like, I probably shouldn't even be rooting for them. They're so unstoppable and I cannot help myself. How do you feel about where Bianca is as a champion? And are you good with how the latter match went? I know you're a big Bailey fan. How do you feel? Um, it's interesting. I, I think the best comparison to Bianca to me is John Cena. I think for for multiple for a multitude of reasons. But to begin with, Bianca just feels like not only the face of the of the women's division, but she just kind of feels that you could put her, you can make a case as the face for the company. And plus, I look at Bianca, Bianca and the role that she's in now. What I find interesting, and it ties into her match with Bailey, is that for the last, I'd say, decade, we've had the, the four horsewomen, and then all of a sudden, Bianca Belair has this meteoric rise, and she's injected into the main event of, of, of pay-per-views with Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch, and Bailey once again. So I think the best comparison to Bianca is John Cena, because I just don't see most people. You try to make them, try to turn them after so many years. Always try to make them a heel. No. They tried with John Cena, or low-key tried to, didn't work. Don't do it with Bianca, because I think she's that good. She's at that level. Now, as for the match, I think it was the match of the night. Yeah. To the, I think for the fact that there was one spot in that match where Bailey had Bianca outside the ring on the ladder, and I'm thinking Bailey, who's coming off an injury, just, just jumped, and I think she took just as much of that hit as Bianca did. It felt throughout that whole match, it just felt that even though a part of people say, okay, well, B- Bianca's going to retain, but it's it's the storytelling for me. And it's just how Bailey just did what she's always done. And I think doesn't get enough credit for is that she's making not only Bianca look good, like she didn't mean much help doing that, obviously, but Bailey's still putting in the work. Yeah, the, the commitment, the commitment to the storytelling in that match, um, the commitment to storytelling since she's come back with damage control, the work that mm-hmm. she does outside the ring when Dakota Kai or EO Sky are in the ring and do it fighting their own matches, her stage mom thing that she does outside the ring. She's mm-hmm. super engaged. She's not just waiting outside the ring for someone to roll out so she can stomp them or throw them into a wall. She's engaged in that character all the time. And the, and she does wonders with the camera work and everything else, making sure that she's active without doing the, you know, Usos coming in and taking over the match thing. Like she actually has played it a little bit more cool, even, even though, yes, you know, she's had her minions come in and help her out. She's really played it a different way, which has been so impressive. And then she brought that into the match, which is like, listen, if I'm going to be a star, I got to have stars to wrestle. And that's a really, that's something that these 
wrestlers can't lose focus of. And yeah, is Bianca is a superstar. It's there's just she's the most baby face face in the company right now. Yeah. There's no turning her. There's just no turning back from the yeah. star that she is. But Bailey, like you said, committing physically to the match, committing, you know, listen, the picking up a ladder to be KOD'd into to the, the la- yeah. There's a like there's yeah. a lot of wrestlers who couldn't pull that off, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of wrestlers. Maybe the only other wrestler who could pull that off was the one KODing her. It's yeah. inc- it was incredible. She took a hit to the face just to make that moment happen. And it was the signature moment of the match. All these little things. I just found the entire match to be so fun to watch. And I think that Bailey being able to be as face as she was and to be as heel as she is now there are a lot of wrestlers who will never achieve that. And, you know, like Charlotte could never be as face as Bailey oh, is, was, and, you know, Becky wasn't that great of a heel. Right. Yeah. And so that what she's doing, and that's no shade to either one of those, you know, how I feel about Charlotte Flair as a wrestler. She mm-hmm. does a lot for me. Like I really do genuinely like love watching her perform, but I don't think there's anyone who is, you know, like to me, Bailey is like, if, the Miz was one of the best wrestlers too. <laughs> you know, it's just like she could do anything. Yeah. Um, and so that was definitely the match of the night for me. I know a lot of people for them, the match of the night was the Donnie Brook, you yeah. know, which was of course amazing. And again, felt so weird to open with that because yeah, was- matches we're talking about the Donnie Brook. And I mean, the main event realistically should have been Bianca and Bailey. Yeah. If we're talking about, I mean, there's a title on the line. They're the two you know, they're two wrestlers wrestling at their highest level for a belt. Like this is, you know, a no brainer main event. We'll talk about why they may not have done that, but the Donnie Brook is like this extension of obviously the Gunter Sheamus rivalry that has become the best rivalry in WWE right now. They're putting on bangers. It doesn't matter what they do. Sheamus is on top of the world right now. Gunter is proving why his like name was out there and why, you know, when you get yeah. the right storyline for a wrestler that good, how good it can be. Mm-hmm. Are you like buying the hype? Could you, I know a lot of people are saying I could watch this, keep it going, figure out a way to keep this going because these are two guys who I think can keep this storyline working for a while. Do you feel that same way? Or do you feel like maybe it's time that we give these guys a chance to do other things? Like where's your head at with the Seamus Gunter situation? All things considered, I could watch them fight any pay-per-view, what makes it so great is is that it's the physicality. It's the realness. It's the tension. Just watching them alone and forget how talented, you know, the other members of Imperium and the Brawling Boots are. When the focal point is on, on those two, they can fight anywhere, anyhow, and people are going to watch it because it's engaging. Like, look, look at how physical, look at, look, I tell people, look at Seamus' chest. In all the years I've watched Seamus wrestle, I've never seen him take that many shots to the chest. But to me, Gunther as the champion, what makes this work, Tanya, is that Gunther is the champion and Seamus as the challenge. It, it makes it work because I kind of feel that if the roles were reversed, it would be, it wouldn't feel, it wouldn't feel right. But to your but to your point, I mean, they can do like a best of seven. And they can just absolutely fight. they can fight for the next month and a half for all I care. And you can put it on, you can put it as the main event of SmackDown every week. 
and you're not going to get a complaint from many people because it's something like Seamus said, it's a banger after banger after banger. I know I'm getting a five-star quality match. And people are like, and after so much time, you're thinking that, oh, well, you should break it up. Now, I'm under the belief that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because not only did we see Gunther and Seamus shine, but we saw we saw everybody just shine. Yeah, I think the other matches. I think the other guys in Imperium are really, really good wrestlers. I really yeah. like them. Um, you know, I, Butch is something else. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Um, <laughs> He's hard you know, to figure out. I'll, I'll admit Yeah, that. I do think that like when you strike gold like that, you can, sometimes you just don't know that it's going to happen. And when you do, it's really magical. And I think that fans are now getting to the point where when you know those matches are coming up, the energy rises in the room. And so it's, it's almost like you have built in main events for, Mm -hmm. for these, you know, weekly shows for, with these guys. And it's a chance for Gunter to continue growing as a storyteller, which I think is great. Seamus is, you know, a hall of famer. He'll, he will be a hall of famer. Like he's got all of his credentials. He's Mm -hmm. got nothing to prove, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want his moment in the sun right now as well. And I'm really enjoying that he's getting that chance, Uh, you know, especially while guys like Drew McIntyre and other guys are really like getting totally screwed storyline wise. It's really, really nice to see someone like Seamus have a good moment right now. I do want to wrap up extreme rules by talking about fight pit. I, like I was saying before, I think they had to save that for the main event just because of having to put the fight pit into the middle of the stadium. So (laughs) I get why that happened. I think it was totally unnecessary. I don't give a shit about fight pit. I don't give a shit about MMA. This is a fucking wrestling show. Um, We're talking about, which I just, I don't know why they're trying to pigeonhole MMA into the WWE, bring on your superstars, Bring them on. Bring on Ronda Rousey if you want to. Bring in Brock Lesnar. All these, all these guys who and and ladies who have been come from MMA. Great, that's fine. There, there are pro football players that are also. That doesn't mean that they they've got Corbin in there like playing you know touch football in the ring either. I it, it, this is ridiculous. Um, you know how I feel about Riddle to begin with. Yeah. Like you're going to bring in a fight pit and but you're not going to put Ronda Rousey in it. You're going right. to put Matt Riddle. Yeah. Like you've got the one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time on your roster and you're going to put Matt Riddle in there. And it's just like, I don't know what we're doing. The Daniel Cormier thing got weird real quick. Like not mad at Cormier for doing it, but it got weird. It wasn't a great match to me. Um, It got saved by the Bray Wyatt reveal at the end of the pay-per-view because nobody was really thinking about fight pit, but there's a twofold thing here because we've ended with fight pit. Matt Riddle wins the MMA fight as he should have. And then they give the belt Bobby Lashley's title to Seth on Monday Night Raw. Like, where where are they trying to take Matt Riddle from here? Where are they trying to take Seth Rollins from here? Because to to me, you know, Seth can almost do anything at any time, and he's got a title now. And they're continuing, obviously, to put the, that belt on superstars, both belts, on guys that can bring up the brand while Roman is holding the other titles hostage. So great. Seth Rollins has got a title. We've got Gunter and he's really building up that title. What is next for Matt Riddle and Seth? Are they going to keep this going or are we parting ways? Like, what are we doing? Uh, all things considered, I feel if you do a fight pit match, it kind of feels like closure. To, to me, it kind of feels I think like so closure. Too. Yeah. It kind of feels like closure because I, I don't see where the direction they go to. It's like the whole Cormier thing, like to your point, it, it got weird really, really fast. And I'm like, I, I'm not going to say I got out of the match really quickly. I'm not going to 
to me, I understand to your point. I get why it, it's a pit. You got to put it. I, I get it. We got to put it in the show. I get it. Personally, if you're going to do it, I'd rather you put it at the beginning. To exactly. kind of get the crowd. That's how you open it. And then you can kind of slide the Donnie Brooklyn. You could have. But, but going back to your point about the direction, what's interesting with Seth, which I think is very interesting, who to me has been phenomenal. You, I could make a case outside of Roman Reigns. Seth Rollins had a pretty good year. I think he's had the best year as a wrestler. I think he's had, he's done a lot more work than Roman. I think he's carried the, I think he's carried the franchise. I think he's carried the men's division in a way that probably doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. And I think, and and I'll just, I'll, I'll mention that point real quick because you're right. Because if you think about it, here's the thing, the company trusted Seth with Cody Rhodes. That's a big responsibility. And they trust a guy in Seth Rollins, who's a future Hall of Famer in his own right, to come face a potential future Hall of Famer in Cody Rhodes. Then you put him this thing with, with Riddle. And I put on Twitter that, it got personal really fast, like zero to hundred, really personal. And you put him in these feuds and it works. Now you put a belt on Seth. I think you can do a lot more with Seth as a champion because kind of in similar to the way with Lashley, the belt has credibility because one of the biggest problems with these mid-card belts, you just stick them on people and it kind of falls into irrelevancy. Now, to your point with Luther, now that the IC belt is relevant, and really, it's not even talked about enough with the feud with Sheamus, but people know Gunther's the Intercontinental Champion. Now, when you look at Rollins taking away from a very worthy champion in Lashley, I don't think that people may think, well, it takes him out of the world title picture. I don't necessarily think so. So why not put the belt on someone, once again, somebody you trust, somebody with credibility, that's, that Seth Rollins checks every box. They gave Riddle to Seth to try to give him a chance to, to build do what up. he needs yeah. to do post yeah. Randy Orton. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. The storyline didn't do him any favors because none of what Seth was accusing him of is false in his personal life. Um, yeah. He's not a great dude outside of the WWE. Um, mm. He's been mired in some pretty, pretty tough stuff. Um, yeah. So I don't know what their aim was in allowing that to enter. I mean, that seems like a real desperation move on the WWE's part and on um, Riddle's part to allow that into a storyline. Um, and now he's left with having won a fake match in a pit. And I, by fake, I mean, like, it wasn't really even wrestling. And I just am interested to see what happens. It's like, it's very much, I just feel like his entire future remains in Randy Orton making his way back. And that doesn't seem to be coming anytime soon. Like I haven't anything, everything I've seen has said that like Randy is still recovering and like, I don't know when that's going to happen. And obviously the storyline is built in there and I would be excited to see how that played out specifically because i obviously love Randy Orton, but it's just, it's very confusing to me. So, um, but I'm very excited to see my boy Seth have some, have some shiny, some shiny toy. Finally, he got his, he's got his gold. I'm really happy for him. And I'm excited to see what they do next with Lashley. Cause I love face Lashley. Um, I like, I love him. I love two people who I think in the last few months post Vince McMahon have like really shined are Bobby Lashley and you're really not going to believe me when I say this, but I'm all here. Austin Theory. I just really like what they how they have fixed Austin Theory. Like him being a bit more of a clown, a bit more of a little shyster, no longer being in title matches, but like getting in on these really good wrestling, like three on three tag teams, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible wrestler. 
And the whole thing, they didn't change his whole personality. They just put it where it was supposed to be in the show. And I think he's funny and like killing it. And I, when I tell you, I was like, oh my God, Vince is going to ruin another dude. I, I was so worried. And like, so I'm really happy about that. I'm sure you agree. I mean, like it's gotten so much better, right? Yeah, because here's the thing, and I can make a same case that those title matches actually kind of hindered him more than helped him. Yeah, and 100%. It, and to me, people wonder why is he in these title matches? That's a great question. I think the thing with Vince, when you start to put more people in, in believable situations, it just wasn't believable. Like, why is Austin Theory getting these title matches? And that's why I say that it kind of hindered him because it just didn't fit. And just like I go back to the example, to your point, when Austin Theory came out during the, the with the Reigns and Lesnar match, when they when he came out and the whole crowd was like, oh, and then next thing you know, he's coming out, and then Tyson Fury comes with that hook. Yeah. And I I was on the floor. I was laughing. Because I said, and not laughing, but maybe I hit the jaw. It's not funny. But to me, that's kind of what theory, you know, to your point, he's kind of the comical that that's no one's saying his talent is, is comical. No, no, he's an incredible wrestler. I think he's great. I like watching him perform and I like him being uh, like a less serious sort of goofy wannabe dude. You know, there's been one of those in every sort of iteration of WWE and he is a great person to carry that torch. Vince's vision for the company would have worked maybe 15, 20 years ago. It did work 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, 15, 20 (laughs) years ago. And no one's knocking the work that he's done throughout his throughout, throughout, throughout his career. But I think with the new direction under Triple H, you're going to start seeing characters that who we had written off, you're going to have the have credibility. Yeah. Because the number one thing, the issue that with Vince was was credibility. It's like you're making these guys come out there and you're not doing nothing with them because you're using antiquated stuff that worked 15, 20 years ago. It's not going to work in today's W, not with today's audience. It's not yeah, definitely to work. not with that. You know, kayfabe is totally different now with social yeah. media and everything else. Like, yeah, it exists, but it's in a completely different sort type of way. And so these guys are going like guys and girls are going to have to build their brands a little bit differently. I think we can probably wrap it up there. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I am not watching crown jewel. Uh, I'm good. They're doing this throwaway uh, Roman Reigns match and little bummed because i actually like watching logan paul um in these moments i think he's really good uh are you going to watch crown jewel and if so are you looking forward to the roman reigns logan match or are you dreading it um as far as watching it i mean no, this it. is no like ju- no judgment i mean i yeah, me yeah. Personally, oh, yeah. it's not <laughs> like i don't give a shit you know it's like <laughs> me personally it's not for me but that doesn't mean it doesn't have to be for you you know yeah. for me like getting Getting through Crown Jewel, Crown Jewel, there you go. Crown Jewel is the last, the last couple ones have been very difficult to get through for me personally. I'll be curious to watch this Roman Reigns and Logan Paul match because I just think Logan Paul's committed to this. This is not just some one and done, you know, you know, peace out, you know, I'm out. It's the commitment. And I think putting him in a match with Roman Reigns, which, I mean, stranger things have happened. I mean, no, sir, it's not happening at Crown Jewel. Listen, I'm not saying, listen, they're, they're not going to do it, they're obviously. Trying. I appreciate you're, your, I appreciate listen, the true so, fan in you right now. Some, somebody's got to, somebody's got to sell it. 
you know, someone's got to sell the popcorn. To you're the right. Food. You're right. Someone's got to try to have their backs on this one. Yeah. But I'm very curious about how that goes because I think it works because now, because you have Logan Paul kind of maybe getting a new generation of fans possibly to come watch wrestling and you have, well, Roman Reigns. Like I said, by no means Roman Reigns is going to retain. I, I think there's, no, there's going to be no pushback on that. But that's probably the only match that I'll be interested. Like, I'll be curious to see what else they add in all, in all honesty. I'm just curious to see how Logan Paul does. Yeah, because- no, I, I'm, I, that's the one thing I'm worried, I'm bummed about not being able to see is I want to see how he's progressed as a wrestler. Like, this is a guy who decided to, you know, be a boxer and be a, you know, he started training and I mean, always been an athlete, clearly always been an athlete. That's very clear mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah. once he starts committing to something, he's just a really gifted athlete. It, some people have it. And like, whether we will not like it or not, I'm pretty sure Logan Paul, when he decides to do something is going to be really good at it. So mm-hmm. based on what we saw at SummerSlam, I do, you know, I'm not going to go to the match, but I'll watch the stuff after when it's clipped onto the internet so I can mm-hmm. see the highlights and I'll see the highlights a thousand different times. So it is what it is. Um, you know, so probably won't be following up with anybody on crown jewel, but <laughs> keeping an eye on all the stuff we talked about. Um, if you guys have any questions or thoughts on any of the stuff we talked about, if you disagree with us, if you think we're crazy, um, or if you like really agree with a point, whatever, share theories, you have all that stuff always on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Ladarius remind people where they can find you. Uh, you're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of it, right? Yep. I'm at- I'm awesome everywhere, but but you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at Ladaris underscore Brown and at Instagram at Ladaris double underscore underscore Brown. Follow me Perfect. video. I'll pretty sure I'll be watching wrestling and I'll be talking about a whole, a whole bunch of stuff. And Crown Jewel, well, well, we'll, we'll see. I'll, yeah, you guys can go to Ladarius for your Crown Jewel coverage because I'll be I'll be <laughs> sitting that one out. So thank you guys for joining me. Appreciate you checking in this week. And as per usual, have a great week and weekend and i will talk to you soon bye